Growing a business brings pressure. It's not easy to maintain momentum and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. Their scalable HR solutions help me with hiring, training, HR administration, and compliance while giving my employees competitive benefit options. When my people are able to thrive, my business can adapt and prosper. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And if you go apply, be sure to mention Great Unsolved Podcast and How Did You Hear About Podgo. On Friday, July 10th of 2015, two-year-old Dior Kunz Jr. went missing in Limey County while on a camping trip with his family. Although searches started almost immediately and were quite extensive, nothing was ever found. This case has many discrepancies. I have tried to include as much information as possible while keeping the sources as credible as possible. There are other timelines out there, and I am not sure which ones are more true than others. Welcome to or welcome back to the Great Unsolved podcast. This week I decided to do something a little different and present two cases that fall under the category of missing 411 cases. A few months ago I did an episode talking about the basics of missing 411 cases and the theories that surround them. This week I discussed the case of Dior Kunz Jr. and the case of Stephen Kubaki. These are cases I covered when I had the podcast that focused solely on missing 411 cases, but I have since closed that podcast, so they are not discoverable anywhere online. I did still want these cases to get recognition, so that is why they are coming up. Remember to check out all of our links down below for more exclusive content. Let's get into the case of Dior Kunz Jr. Dior Kunz Jr., also known by the nickname of Little Man, was born on December 30th of 2012 in Idaho Falls, Idaho, to Jessica and Dior Sr. He was described as virtually every missing child is, as fun-loving and always happy. It seems that this really was the truth, though. It is reported that Dior Jr. hardly ever cried and didn't even mind going down for naps. He seems to be a little boy who just went with the flow of things. So when his parents spontaneously planned a camping trip one day, nothing was out of the ordinary. Jessica and Dior Sr. wanted to get some time out of town and away from their jobs, so they planned to leave the next day. Jessica's grandfather was living with her because he needed some help being taken care of. So Jessica thought to invite him as well. 
Being an avid fisherman, there was no way he could decline this offer, so he started to get things ready to leave the next day. Unannounced to Jessica, her grandfather also invited his much younger friend, Isaac, because he was also a lover of fishing. It is reported that neither Jessica or Dior Sr. had met Isaac before this trip, but since the grandfather seemed to like and trust him, they went along with it also. There was no reason not to. On Thursday, July 9th, the group set off for Timber Creek Campground near Leodore. Dior and his parents drove the 120 miles in a separate car from the great-grandfather and Isaac. They most likely wanted more room in the vehicles and most likely even needed it for their camping supplies. Arriving late, it is reported they made a fire and dinner, and then people started going to bed. Jessica, Dior Jr., and Dior Sr. apparently stayed out by the fire just looking up at the stars, after which they went to sleep in Dior Sr.'s truck. Jessica has reported that they were woken up by Isaac, who was making breakfast, and found the need to say, quote, wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. Once Jessica did get up, she made the discovery that she had started her period. This is a drag for any woman, but even worse for a woman who's on a camping trip and did not bring anything with her. Quickly, she told Dior Sr. that she needed to go into town to get something from a store, so they strapped Dior Jr. into the car and went on their way. As they were on their way out, Jessica's grandfather told them to be back by 1 p.m. and they could all go fishing at the reservoir. Getting into town took a whole 40 minutes, but they were able to find a store right away and get what Jessica needed. Upon first questioning, the clerk at the store stated that they had seen a little blonde boy with the couple, but later they stated they saw this boy at 6 p.m., not 1 p.m. like the parents' timeline suggests. After leaving the store, Dior Sr. stated that he wanted to find a place to get diesel for his truck, because although he didn't need it right now, he would eventually and did not want to be left stranded. This took much longer than expected, and the trio did not return to their campground until around 1.10 p.m. When they returned, Jessica's grandfather informed them that he and Isaac had gone to check out the reservoir, but there was nothing good there. However, Isaac was fishing in the creek that was only about 15 yards away and was getting some good bites. Right as he was talking about it, Isaac came back towards the group and asked if Dior Sr. and Jessica wanted to see where he was getting bites. So they agreed. All four adults who were present at this time remember Jessica asking Dior Jr. if he wanted to go with them to the creek or stay with Grandpa. Jessica's grandfather brought out a bag of candy and said that Dior probably wanted to stay to get some candy, so the grandfather was left in charge of watching the child as his parents went down by the creek. The grandfather stood by his claim of never hearing Jessica tell him he was watching Dior until his death. I am not sure why he would need to be told he was watching the child if he stated himself that Dior wanted to stay there with him, but I guess we will never know the answer to that. Upon going down by the river, Isaac showed the couple where the good fish were and then went back to his spot up the creek a little bit where he was fishing, or that's what the couple assumed he went back to do. 
Dior and Jessica stood by the creek banks for a while until they saw a school of little minnows swimming along. They thought Dior Jr. would love to see these little fish, so Dior Sr. quickly went back towards the campsite to get him. As he walked towards the campsite, he couldn't see Dior Jr. and asked the grandfather where he had gone. The grandfather looked confused and glanced down next to him where Dior Jr. had been on the ground playing just to find an empty spot. Frantically, Dior Sr. begins to yell for his son and look around, at which point Jessica hears the yelling and comes to the tree line from the creek to ask what the hell is going on. When she was told they couldn't find Dior Jr., she started to frantically look as well as any parent would. For 20 minutes, the family held out hope that by calling his name, the toddler would appear out of the woods or even out from under a car or some other hiding spot he found. When this started to seem like something that was not going to happen, Jessica called 911, but suspiciously not before calling her mother frantically. Once Jessica hung up with her mother, this 911 call came in at 2.28 p.m. What's the address of your emergency? Um, I'm actually camping in Redworth. Just outside of Redworth. Uh-huh. Um, my two-year-old son, um, we can't find him. How long has he been missing? About an hour. An hour? Yeah. Are you by water? Yes. Do you know which campground you're in? Uh, it's Stone Reservoir, Timber Creek. Stone Reservoir? Yeah, or Timber Creek. Hold on. We need search and rescue. Jessica? Jessica? Yeah? What's your son's name? Okay, what is he wearing? He was wearing cowboy boots, a blue um, pair, like pajama pants, and a camel jacket. And he's got shaggy blonde hair. Is your husband calling too? Like, all down where we were camping at and we can't find him at all. Okay, we need you to stay within cell service. We okay. have people going on, on the way. Thank you. Although it is obvious and there is proof that Jessica had enough service, Dior Sr. decided to drive about a half mile down the road to try and get better service to also call 911. It is obvious the operator knows this because she asks if Jessica's husband is also calling which Jessica does not answer in this call. One other discrepancy in this call is the fact that Jessica states Dior Jr. had been missing for an hour when it had really only been 20 minutes. It is not until 4 p.m. when search and rescue crews with divers and a helicopter arrive and begin an extensive search for baby Dior. These searches kept going on ATVs, foot, and horseback until at least July 21st. They mainly focused on the creek, reservoir, and a 2.5-mile radius around the campground, but failed to find anything related to Dior. On July 13th of 2015, Dior's parents did their first and really only interview during the case. It is a long interview. I'm going to play about 10 minutes of it for you now, but if you wish to skip past it, then just go to about the 20-minute mark. Um, all right, Dior, so take us back. Was it Friday? 
I'm not sure what day it is today. Today's yeah. Monday. It was Friday. It was Friday. Friday at about two two twenty six is when I was it two twenty six. Two thirty six when I called. Two was two thirty six is when she called and I was in the truck hauling down to the road to try and get service because I didn't think one bar would get it. So she got very very lucky. I was blessed that she was able to get service because I did th I didn't want to try and risk getting halfway through my talking to the nine one one and have it cut off. So I went down to where I knew I can get a little service about a half mile down the road. Uh, we searched for, after about 20 minutes and in a dead panic, not knowing where he was in such a small area and not knowing, never being there, I knew I was in trouble. Uh, so we decided to call search and rescue. Uh, and that's when I drove down. She tried getting a signal out. Um, as soon as I got a hold of them, I come. They told me that she was on the other line with them, and they had our location, and they were on our way. They, they were amazing. They are amazing, and they still continue to be. Uh, Lima High County Sheriff and Sam and Search and Rescue, you could not ask for a better group of people, volunteers and Search and Rescue, and just everybody. You couldn't ask for better people. So sincere, so concerned, and they were. Everybody was so emotionally attached to this, as you, anybody would be of a two-year-old. He's pretty small for his age, but he, he moves pretty good, and that was our concern. He, he uh, was right with us. Uh, where it's at is, I mean, I thought it would be perfect to go camping there because it's enclosed by walls of mountains, and there's not much space around there that he could go. And our biggest concern was the, the creek which was knee, knee deep, few feet wide, but he's a little guy. Um, they finally, yesterday, we were able to put that to rest and Lima High County Sheriff, um, Sheriff Dave and the rest of the sheriffs have put out that there is, they, they assured me there is 100% chance that he is not anywhere in that water, around that water. They have torn that creek upside down and in and out. Divers uh, have gone through wetsuits along with the helicopter. That was the world's most advanced search and rescue helicopter uh, volunteered out of Montana. And those guys were just amazing. The accuracy they had with the night vision ability it has and the uh, heat range it can see. They were, one, the one guy, I can't remember his name. Um, I've met so many people, so many good people, but um, he was, he his his own safety, he was, he was more or less, he was strapped in and he was on the side of that helicopter looking. And I, he was looking down. I remember them telling me that they um, asked the search rescue to go look over because there was an orange insect repellent can, they think, by the bank. And they were dead on. That's what it was. That's how accurate these guys are. They thought it was, it might have been like a part of a shoe they might, or, something, or something, but they said, go check that out. That These guys search miles. So the mile radius they have is, it is a very rocky terrain it is very open but it's not the helicopter that used is, is used to back very deep montana it, it is designed for a lot worse situations than this and there was not a trace of my son found there still isn't but there's the search is on that's the hearsay of things has kind of gotten way out of hand the search is so far is, has been put on that has been suspended and that is not entirely sure or true. Sheriff Dave of Lima High County, I just spoke with him on the phone this morning. He has got uh, horseback riders and trackers up there right now uh, and very, very advanced professional 
Um, I'll, be, I'll be going up, um, with, and I've just come down to get any resource I can get to go back right up back up today. Um, what questions do you guys have? Tell us a little bit about, first off, how are you guys holding up? I know everybody's, a lot of people are praying for you. They're concerned. Friends and family and hoping to be strong for them. The is what I know keeping me together because if we didn't have all of our family, the minute I called my mom and she was up there in a matter of hours and same with the rest of our family, they were just up there Those around us. Well, luckily, we I, a few phone calls is all it took at first, and we had just as Sheriff Davis said in the news, there was 175 plus people up there in the grid searches, volunteers, uh, professionals, and anybody I called. There's the service up there is very here, here, there. It's camping, you know. Um, we're we're trying to hold up the best we can, but with we have hope is the thing. Hope is what keeps it going. Hope is because the search is not over. Search is not done. We will find him, yeah, no matter what. You were, you were in the truck, so was it you that first realized, oh, no, Dior's not here? No, we both did. No, I we just, both did. We, after 20 minutes of up and down the creek and up and around the, uh, the camp and he wasn't there, that's when I got in my pickup truck and drove down the road to try and get uh, some service. Yeah, especially after screaming his name, we have nicknames for him. No sound of him. This little no boy crying. is not. He's a he's a goer and a mover, but he's not. He does not go away from his parents. He does not. Yeah, he's very attached. So this to is us. very unusual. Very very unusual, sir. And we didn't hear people around us. We didn't see anybody. We have. They told him to put the UP bag. That needs to be addressed. Yeah, I know social media can be a good thing, but it can also. That's be a bad that's thing. the. We just don't want anything twisted. Against. Yeah, we don't want to twist it. So. Clear up any rumors that you've seen or heard. Or we need to, we've we one, need to talk about that. One thing that concerns we, we're, we're gonna, me. We want to get to that. The, the, what's most of the biggest rumors that are going around is, I mean, I have heard everything from the, I mean, why you would make a rumor that has to do with a three-year-old is if you're not going to help, please don't. If it's not helpful. Yeah, it's just, this, is a, this is a two, almost three-year-old we're talking about. Please help us. But I've heard everything from, um, I, am, I am a truck driver. Um. I've heard everything from my company it won't let me come home off the road to look for my son. I was there the entire time, and my employer, four hours after my son went missing, has been up there day and night, has not slowed down. I've, and that that one that one bothered me. And then it, they just came, they got worse and they got worse and they got worse. But there, that's a handful of bad with a bunch of good. The amount of support is very overwhelming, and it's good. Are there any rumors that you've seen? Anything you want to clear up, Jessica? I just, somebody at the store, um, Ledor said, it was one of the ladies that had worked at the store, said that they saw um, a gentleman and a younger blonde boy matching our description of our son, really filthy, buying candy for him, and he was just bawling in a black truck. That is the only Here's the problem. other. <clears throat> My pickup truck black. black truck. As a family, we went down to get get a few things so it earlier. It, it was, was earlier me, that but, it, day. but they claim it was at six o'clock that uh, that evening. And I we was so we search and rescue until what a quarter to four. Yeah, from we didn't we never, we haven't left the camp since one o'clock that afternoon. So it's just a lot of hearsay. And was anybody camping around you? That we don't know is. I come to find I didn't know the area, and I didn't know I there's it's very 
open, but you can't see much. There's a, a, a road that goes up and along the top. By, I, we're, we're camped underneath the reservoir, basically right below it. And you can go up above the reservoir. And I didn't even know the road was did the, I didn't know the road was up there. And as I traveled up there myself, I come to find out I can see everything going on in that campsite, but you can't see out. You can't see up. You can't see around. And if anybody comes to the bottom of your campground, you can't even see they are. So they could have come to your. They could have came in, and you couldn't never, never know it. And with the water was not very it was not a fast running. It's a creek, but it is quite loud moving through the logs and things like that. So hearing range is not all that far either. So you couldn't hear anybody coming up either. So he was just kind of playing, and you guys were doing your thing, and then he, he noticed. Oh, he was playing. He with, was, yeah, he was. He was my playing with Grandpa. But he was over. He's getting ready for a nap. And I say it was almost. By that time, it was almost two, and he usually takes his nap. Um, we 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 were just yeah. We decided we we're going to go a little exploring. He was going to be good with Grandpa by the campfire. We were more than probably 50, 50 yards away in ten minutes. Uh, well, but the time we I seen him to the point I figured out he was gone, and I come back up in the creek and I actually seen there were some things down by the little minnows that I thought he would just love. So when I come back up to get him and I yelled over to Grandpa. Uh, where is, you know, where's little Dior? He immediately shocked. He says, I th he came up to you because it's such a small area. That's what a lot of people, they don't understand is they just assume, how could you let your kid out of your sight? This area is pretty well blocked in and you can see, you could, there's no way you couldn't not see him in what we thought. And in just in a split second, your whole world is upside down and vanished. There's not a trace found. That's the other reason why this, has been called on the news as a suspension because it is not a suspension, but there's not a single trace of him. This, this child loses stuff. He's, he's two, almost three. Anybody who has a child in that age range knows he leave, they leave trails. They lose stuff. They, she was no, nothing. There's just nothing. And that's where we're starting to move is there's might, there's a possibility that he may be with somebody. And that's, what's giving us hope that it's, it's a bad thing that he will be not with us right now. But it also means that there is a good chance that he is alive and with somebody. So we are trying every aspect we can, any aspect we can. Is that what your gut tells you, you know, as his yes. father? Yes. As his father, I believe and I think after being up there, and a lot of people agree with me, a lot, that he is no longer up the mountain anymore. Uh, the, the, the searching advances they used and was just very thorough for miles. Uh, not every it wasn't a stone left unturned there still isn't and still we're going to continue to search but being his father also that's where my art and my gut tell me but i'm not sure so that's where i'm asking the public's help anything um the lima high county sheriff is who's handling this but they're not designed for systems quite like this they've got two phone lines and uh please be patient Obviously, you are only able to hear the interview here, not see it, but if you have time, I suggest googling it so that you can see the parent's demeanor during this interview. After this interview, Sheriff Lynn Bowerman said this, quote, We don't have any evidence that somebody kidnapped this child, end quote. And, quote, we've literally torn that county apart and found absolutely not one clue. On the better side of things, it was reported at this time that no possibilities had been counted out yet. They were still investigating all possibilities. After a month of searching nonstop and still finding nothing, a national hotline was finally set up for info on Dior 
and his disappearance. If you have any information, that number is 1-888-852-6506. Once again, it's 1-888-852-6506. As with any missing child, the police first looked at the family right when it happened. At that time, they stated that Dior Sr. and Jessica were not suspects, but now it's... Welcome to BreezeLine, where you'll say, ta-ta, T-Mobile, our home internet is just plain better, more reliable and faster because we put internet first. If there's network congestion, we won't slow your internet down like T-Mobile does to help their cell customers. And right now, you can try out a true internet experience with BreezeLine's reliable and fast fiber-powered home internet. Find your perfect speed with prices starting at $19.99 a month for 24 months. Terms and conditions apply. Go to BreezeLine.com to learn more. So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando Resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 U.S. and D.C. 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited. ...that law enforcement was changing their tune. They confirmed that both parents did take polygraph tests, but they would not give out the results at that time. The family decided to come out and say that the FBI searched their homes and cars but found nothing, although there was no word from the FBI on this matter. As for the grandfather and his friend Isaac, there wasn't much, but police did state Isaac had a criminal record. However, he was cooperating, so there was no reason to suspect him at this point. You may recall that a few minutes ago, when I played the interview of Dior Sr. and Jessica, they mentioned an odd man being at the store when they went into town. Well, now this mysterious man is on the radar of the private investigator that the family hired. The private investigator states that there have been several tips about this man, who is described as in his late 50s, having white-gray hair with curls at the bottom, and is also described as driving a new black Jeep Rubicon. When researching this case, it seems that this PI was one to jump to conclusions, though. He made a statement saying Dior was abducted just because searches did not find anything. I don't know about you, but for me, not finding anything doesn't point to one answer. It means that all answers are still possibilities in this case. This case kind of pauses in its advances until January of 2016. At this time, law enforcement was switching their theories and suspicions to Dior Sr. and Jessica. The sheriff said, quote, We've interviewed them multiple times, and every time there are changes to parts of the story. We re-interview them, but they weren't willing to tell us the truth. Moving on the February... The sheriff then states, quote, We know that the parents aren't telling the truth, and they know that we know that they're lying. I know that they know where the little boy is and what happened to him. We can't really say if anyone other than the parents know what happened to Dior. Their PI eventually turned against them, 
which suggests that maybe he found something pointing to the parents as the only real suspects as well. There's not really any information on how law enforcement had been investigating the parents, but 11 months after the disappearance, cadaver dogs went back to the area and hit on five spots. One was only three-fourths of a mile away from their exact campground. It seems that the case went relatively cold until about 11 days ago. I found an article from ktvb.com that is titled, Sheriff, Remains Found Near Where Dior Kunz Jr. Was Last Seen Are Not Human. However, going against the title is what is said in the article. There is a quote from the dog handler from last year's search saying this, quote, I know my dogs and I know what we do and they have their past history of finding people and I'm pretty confident we feel we have got what we need. And we went back and now the sheriff's office has to do their part, end quote. That doesn't sound like the search only found a non-human bone to me. The handler is talking about the search like they found evidence that they needed in order to get somewhere further in this case. So hopefully we will find out that information soon. Now, since this is a missing 411 case, there are a ton of abnormal theories, but I'm only going to voice the main ones in this case. Dior getting lost is the first thing his parents and those who came to search thought happened. It seems logical enough, toddlers are always on the move, and with only his disabled great-grandpa there, he could have easily started running off. If he ran too far, he could have lost sight of the campground and have no idea where to go from there. There are a few things pointing against this theory, though. First off, if you Google the area that this family was camping in, you will see that it was basically a large open field with a solid tree line, like, outlining it. The great-grandfather stated that he only looked away for a minute, and when he looked back, Dior was gone. But I don't think a two-year-old could have ran that fast. In addition to that problem, nothing was found of Dior in the searches. It seems at some point he would have lost his shoe, due to them being two sizes too big, or gotten his shirt snagged on something. Another theory that many people went with was that of an animal attack. Two-year-olds are about the right size for a large animal to attack and eat, so it is not that far-fetched. However, animals do not clean up after themselves. So you would think blood or at least a few scraps of clothing would have been found in close proximity to the campground. In the last theory, I mentioned that his boots were two sizes too big, so if he was struggling, they most likely would have come off. On top of this, animal attacks are loud, especially the one getting attacked is a small child. There would be growls from the animal and sadly screams from the child, but no one heard anything. Some have theorized that maybe Dior was part of an illegal adoption. The timeline in this case is a bit messy, but we do know that earlier in the day, Jessica and Dior Sr. went into town with Dior Jr. Could they have participated in the illegal adoption of Dior during this time? 
Dewar Sr. is also not accounted for when he drove a half mile up the road to make the 911 call that had already been made. The reason he went up the road does not make sense, and people have been questioning this since that evidence came out. Could he have met someone? Someone in line with that last theory is the theory that something happened to Dior Jr. on this camping trip, whether it be purposeful or accidental. Due to many people not seeing the reason for Dior driving down the road to call 911, many people believe that he may have been dumping Dior Jr.'s body. I have no knowledge if the police went and checked the area where Dior Sr. went to make the 911 call, but I would hope so. Dior may have already been dead when they went on this camping trip as well. They could have scheduled this impromptu camping trip to cover up what happened to Dior. There are a few things that actually point to this theory. One such thing is that the jacket he was reported to be wearing when he went missing was found at the family's apartment, so it was apparent he was not wearing that. This alone could be just a mistake, but we compare that with the fact that some of Dior's supposedly missing toys were found at the apartment as well. That's just an eerie coincidence. Not long after his disappearance, Dior Sr. and Jessica got rid of his toys and clothes. This is not something parents do when they are hoping their child will be found and brought back to them. This is something parents do when they know their child is not coming back. The second to last theory here is the one that the family has wanted people to believe. Someone abducted Dior Jr. Going back to the landscape of the campground, it seems impossible for someone to sneak up on them and get away with the child unseen. No one has ever reported seeing Dior again, so it seems unlikely that he was abducted. Lastly, I am bringing in a theory that those who study missing 411 cases have suggested. Serial killers could be living in these rural areas, and they could be taking their opportunities for victims whenever they can. This would explain no evidence being found, and since the wilderness is so vast, the killers may never be discovered. This is on the tame end of missing 411 theories, but we will get into much crazier ones in the episodes to follow. It is a fact that active serial killer cases have gone down from 193 in 1989 to only 43 a year. However, unsolved cases have also gone up. 50 years ago, over 90% of cases were cleared, and now it is only at 64% rather than the serial killer numbers actually going down, could these killers just be better at fooling law enforcement? I have to say that right off the bat, this is one of the most baffling missing persons cases I have ever researched. And most cases that have a reappearance of the person have an explanation. This one just does not. This is just one of many mysterious pieces in this case. 
In February of 1978, Stephen was in college in Michigan. Being February in Michigan, we can safely assume that there was quite a few inches of snow on the ground and not that much to do. I'm not trying to trash Michigan. I live in Wisconsin and I know how it is here in February. That day in February, Stephen decided that he would go skiing close to the very frozen Lake Michigan. So off he went. And that whole day kind of went by without a problem. No one was worried about Stephen because he just went skiing. And they thought, you know, he's going to take a while because sometimes you go further than you thought you would. And then you got to take all that time to get back. And that's basically what everyone assumed. They just thought, oh, he overestimated or underestimated. And he'll show up at some point in the night and we'll see him tomorrow. However, when he did not show up the next day, his family decided to file a missing persons report. Now, a little bit later, I am going to discuss when he came back, and from that information, I don't think he lived with his parents. I think he lived on his own, but his parents got word that he did not show up the next day after going skiing alone. When they do file a missing persons report, police jumped into action like right away, and they organized large searches because... It is snowy, it is icy, it's dangerous out there, especially if you're alone. Eventually, these searches found Stephen's skis and poles on a beach of Lake Michigan. It stated the skis were very neat, they were placed about 8 inches apart, and the poles were just stuck upright in the ground. Now, another source said that someone else who was out doing activities around there called the police and told them about this but some of them say they were found in the searches. Either way, they were found on a beach of Lake Michigan. Near where these were found, there were also footprints leading to the water's edge, but that's basically as far as they went. After that, they just stopped. Since Stephen's skis and poles were there, obviously it was assumed that they were his footprints, but They gave no clues whatsoever to where Stephen had gone. Thinking that maybe he had fell into the lake, drowned under the ice, searches started along the ice to check for breaks or even just cracks that could lean to a sign of him. But neither of these things were found. Without any new leads, police and volunteers continued to search around the area. At one point, they went back to where the skis were found, only to see that Stephen's backpack had, like, miraculously appeared. They conversed with each other, and everybody knew it had not been there before, and no one really knew how it got there. But I'm assuming there was identification or something inside that told them it was indeed Stephen's backpack. I have a book coming out on all the suspicious drowning deaths of college-age men around the Midwestern, Northeastern area of the U.S., and this part of this case really lined up with that because they found pieces near the water and new things, like new evidence, just kept appearing in places that had already been searched, and it's just so weird to me that it lines up so closely with that. This is really as far as the searches for Stephen got. They found his skis and the poles and the backpack, but nothing 
more pertaining to his disappearance or his whereabouts at that time. A female from the same college as Stephen was very disturbed by his disappearance. It is said that she could have been at the lakeshore with him, but I could only find one report of that. Anyways, around the same time, she stopped going to classes and eventually moved away. So I don't know if police suspected something at all, but she was just extremely disturbed. Everyone was worried about it, but there was something different there. Things took a very unexpected turn about 15 months later, on May 5th of 1979. Stephen's father had heard the doorbell ring and went to go check it out, as we all would, and to his amazement, he saw his son standing at the door. This is weird in itself, but what Stephen recalled, or for better words, like, didn't recall, just made this whole case one of the most baffling missing persons cases ever. Stephen stated that he had simply woken up in a field that morning in Pittsfield, which was around 35 to 40 miles away from where his family lived, and it was set about 700 miles away from where his skis and everything were found. Stephen also recalled waking up in clothing that was not his, and with a bag that was not his. This bag was also filled to the brim with maps that he did not recognize as his own. Stephen holds to this day that he has no knowledge of what happened in those 15 months he was gone, and from what I understand, doctors have checked him out multiple times, and it has been found that he has no mental illness. He just simply cannot remember those 15 months of his life. Where Stephen went missing is known to be on the edge of the Michigan Triangle. This is a triangle in Lake Michigan that stretches from Ludington, Michigan, to Benton Harbor, Michigan, and then to Manitowoc, Wisconsin. Fun little fact for those who watch a lot of true crime like I do, Manitowoc is where Stephen Avery lived. Anyways, this is basically kind of thought of as another Bermuda Triangle. I've lived on the east coast of Wisconsin my entire life, and this is actually the first time I've ever heard of the Triangle, but now that I've read through some of the stories, I realize I have heard these stories before. The first instance of something unexplainable happening dates back to 1679. The Lee Griffin set off to try and find a Northwest Passage to China and Japan, and everything went really well until they reached the Michigan Triangle and it just, they disappeared. There's never been anything seen of the crew or the boat again, and there's no leads as to what happened there. Another well-known case with really no logical explanation. This was from 1891. A ship named the Thomas Hume went across the lake to go pick up lumber, and this boat and its seven-man crew have never been found. There have been extensive searches, and not one piece of evidence has been found to suggest this boat or these men were ever there at all. In 1950, a Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 2501, traveling from New York to Minneapolis, requested cruising altitude of 2,500 feet due to bad turbulence. This could not be granted 
and the plane just never made it out of the Michigan Triangle. And once again, no wreckage was ever found. In April of 1937, Captain George Donner went to his room telling his shipmates to wake him when they were close to port. They did as they were told, but when they went to wake him, they could not find him. All the doors and windows were locked from the inside. So that's just another baffling missing persons case. Since these, there have been multiple unexplainable boat crashes, plane crashes, and other happenings throughout the Triangle. One main thing people believe is that the Triangle is some sort of time portal, where time either immensely speeds up or slows down while traveling through the area. This is a theory that many also have about the Bermuda Triangle, and that's basically what I found. I found a lot of parallels between the Michigan Triangle and the Bermuda Triangle. I don't know, it just must be something about water. I have a big fear of water and boats, and I think it probably stems from being weirdly into all of this weird disappearance stuff, but there's something to it. People have seen odd flashing lights in the sky that they assume are from UFOs. And these are just a few theories on what may be happening in the triangle and what may account for Stephen's 15-month disappearance. Stephen is not the only one around the area to have disappeared, though. A lot of people have been in the area, gone missing, and then were found alive, but have no memory of what happened. In 1990, an 11-year-old boy was walking his dog when he suddenly disappeared. Searches started right away, and eventually he was found in a place that had already been thoroughly searched. When asked what happened, he said he could not remember. It was reported that when he went missing, there was a storm, just as with many other disappearances around this area. So some started to speculate that the electromagnetic fields are somehow creating different portals around the Michigan Triangle, basically when it storms. Back in 1868, a little girl was with her father at a lumber camp in Michigan and just vanished out of nowhere. There were searches everywhere, but no sign of the girl was found. Eventually, the father and someone else heard muffled sounds and followed them. When they got to a body of water, they saw something huge and just beastly, is how they described it, swimming to the other shore. They then saw the little girl standing upon a log nearby. She called the beast Mr. Wolf and said he fed her berries, but he wouldn't let her leave. There are just an enormous amount of stories about other disappearances that make no sense in this area. Stephen's footsteps just stopped, and there were no other footsteps leading up to his, as if he had been, like, carried away by someone or something. So my theories for this one are just a little insane. And I know I'm going to sound insane, but these are theories that go along with many missing 411 cases. The first one is aliens or UFOs. On TV, we see people hovering like up into these UFOs, which could have some sense to it or not, but it almost seems like that is what had to have happened in this case because his footsteps just stop. 
Not to mention that on TV, we also see people's memories getting wiped before the aliens or whoever lets them go. And that would explain his memory of the last 15 months just being gone. I'm not saying it's what happened or that it's logical, but I am putting one of the main theories out there for you. And who am I to say it's not a possibility? The other main theory of this case is some sort of portal. We already talked about the triangle being like either slowing down or speeding up time, and we also talked about electromagnetic portals. But it could be either a time-traveling portal or one that goes to some sort of other dimension. This could also explain how his footsteps just stopped randomly, and it could explain how he just showed up again randomly in a field with a bunch of things that weren't his. Either way, Stephen went somewhere for those 15 months, and we can only assume it was far away due to no one seeing him around that entire time. That's a long time to hide when you're only 40 miles away from your parents' house. I don't think we'll ever know what really happened, but I think we can speculate and throw around a lot of theories to at least open our minds. Well, that is the end of this episode. These are cases that are truly baffling to me, and I have two others that will come out in an episode very soon. Be sure to check out our Patreon in the link below to get exclusive content, early, ad-free content, and vote on a case for an episode each month. If you are interested in serial killer theories, my book is coming out in two days. It focuses on the theory of the smiley face killers, but connects these deaths through much more factual things. The links to buy that will be down below also. And just remember to follow us on Twitter at Great Unsolved, on Instagram at Great Unsolved Pod, and check out our Facebook page for daily updates on cases. The Great Unsolved is a partner of the Oracle Network.